Welcome into Lockdown Horn Frogs. Today we're going to talk about something that if you're a TCU fan, you might not be familiar with. The tight end position. Will it be used in Sonny Dykes and Garrett Riley's offense? We discuss that next. This is Lockdown Horn Frogs. You are Locked On Horn Frogs. Your daily podcast on the TCU Horn Frogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. So fall camp continues to roll along. TCU is preparing for that opener against Colorado. And one position group that I've heard a lot about the last few weeks is the tight end position. And it's not a, a spot that TCU used very often um, under Doug Meacham and Jerry Kill when they were running the offense. I, I looked last season in 2021, your leading receiver at the tight end position um, was Dominic Denuzio, who had six receptions for 69 yards and one touchdown. Now, that one touchdown was a significant one. It was a TD in that game against Baylor. And, I mean, really tight ends the last few years for TCU have just been inline blockers. They've been used in different packages to help with run support, you know, give an extra man on the line to chip defensive ends to try to set the edge, try to make uh, big holes in the run game. But Garrett Riley and Sonny Dykes have used the tight end position in the past um, in a big way. And last season, Grant Calcaterra, he led the uh, SMU Mustangs in receiving for tight ends. He had 38 receptions, 465 yards, four touchdowns, averaged 12 yards a reception. Now, Grant is really talented. Um, he's currently on the Eagles roster. He was at Oklahoma. He transferred in. I mean, he was a receiving threat that they were going to use because he had that ability to make things happen in the tight end position. But I'd argue that TCU's in a pretty good situation at that position this year. Uh, Jacavius Spivey, um, the Mississippi State transfer, there's been a lot of talk about him. Um, Jared Wiley, who transferred in from Texas, is also there. They, Both those guys are big, athletic, can make plays. Now, Wiley and Spivey, they weren't huge receiving threats in their last stops in their last schools, but did show some ability to get the ball in space, get up the field, make some things happen. And uh, you also have DeAndre Rodgers on the roster, who is really interesting player. I believe he was originally committed to Oregon, had some legal issues that got cleared up, and then he just sort of randomly ended up at TCU. There wasn't a lot of talk about him in the recruiting process, but he's also on campus. Have not heard his name a whole lot um, during the course of camp. But, I mean, coming out of high school, the word on him was he was that type of player, a big-time receiving threat, great athleticism, can make plays. So you got three guys that kind of fit that mold of ability to catch the ball, um, make some guys miss, make some plays, get yards after the catch. And then you also have some players that have been around for a while, Carter Ware, Dominic Nuzio, um, who have been used sparingly, but understand the offense, know how to block, know how to you know move and, and make things happen in different packages. So this tight end position 
is shaping up to be really formidable. You have both guys um, that can catch and are more your prototypical tight ends in 2022, which are receiving threats that can go up the field and make plays. And then you also have your more old-school, traditional inline blockers. So I'm excited to see how TCU tries to exploit some of those matchups. You know, I always felt like Pro Wells was a guy, and Artavius Lynn sort of fit this mold too. But it just seemed like there was so much potential there with what they could do getting up and down the field, especially in the middle of the field, and it wasn't used much. Now, I mean, in general, the last few seasons, they didn't throw the ball in the middle of the field at all. Uh, but your tight end can be a great safety blanket. So I think whether it ends up being Chandler Morris or Max Duggan, it's good to have one kind of that that dump off in the middle of the field or critical third down you need you know, medium yardage, like third and six, third and seven. Can your tight end find a way in one-on-one coverage to break away and make a play? But I really think with Spivey and Wiley especially, you also have players that if there's a safety or a linebacker covering them, it's a mismatch. Like there's an ability there to isolate them in situations where they can run routes that are going to make teams pay and then use that big athletic frame to rumble down the field after the catch. So not only are you going to be able to catch, you know, a drag route in the middle of the field, but then turn up the field and get some yardage after the fact. That would be really beneficial for this DC offense. They have to find a way, and I think they'll have the opportunities to do that with all the weapons they have. But you need to attack the defense from different sets, from different angles, with different players, as many ways as you can be creative, make sure that teams can't just key on Quentin Johnson on the outside like they have the last few years because there's no threats elsewhere um, that can make plays. Or there's just not the creativity or the scheme to find ways to get the ball to those players. And I, I believe with the mind they have on offense now, they can do that more effectively And with the personnel they have at this tight end position, they're set up to find a way to get those guys involved and not just be, okay, here comes, you know, here's our jumbo package. We're going to throw an extra tight end in there, and they're going to try to um, block and set the edge, and everybody just sort of knows we don't have to worry about those guys. So I'm excited to see what happens with that position group moving forward as we uh, continue to hurdle towards the season opener. Okay, coming up next, um, the Big Ten made some news yesterday with their TV deal. We'll talk about that next. This is Locked On Horn Frogs, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team, and it's every day. Okay, so yesterday, or on Tuesday, it came down that the Big Ten would not have a deal with ESPN in the future, a TV deal with ESPN in the future. ESPN was pulling out of the bidding. So essentially Fox along with CBS and NBC are going to have the rights to Big Ten football. You're not going to see Big Ten football on ESPN anymore. This is fascinating because, I mean, for one thing, and I think Brian Curtis said this yesterday, at 11 a.m. window on ESPN, has always sort of been um, reserved for Michigan. Like, it's just typical 
okay, college game day ends, and then as soon as it does, all right, what's next? Michigan playing whoever they are, or Illinois, Nebraska. I mean, there's just a lot of options in that noon Eastern, 11 Central time window um, that ESPN used the Big Ten for because, you know, they're in the north, they're in the Midwest. It just made a lot of sense to have them on early in the morning. But Fox, CBS, and NBC are nearing deals with the Big Ten, and it'll no longer be – ESPN is no longer involved. They're not bidding on Big Ten football anymore in this new, you know, grant of rights agreement. So, of course, for our purposes, the first question we ask is, what does this mean for the Big 12? And my first reaction to this was actually negative because I thought, man, I had heard that CBS and NBC – might be really interested in Big 12 football and that there were some opportunities for the Big 12 to kind of create their own brand aside from just being on ESPN and Fox and have some football elsewhere. It was a chance for NBC to get involved in college football in another way than what they do now, which is just Notre Dame, and they do the occasional HBCU game as well. And CBS, which only does SEC football. Now, there's still options here. Like, streaming is going to be a factor. And does uh, the Big 12 decide to go, like, off the beaten path, say, no, we're not going to do just traditional cable. We're also going to put this on Amazon Prime or Hulu. Um, As part of this Big 10 deal, some of these games are going to be on Peacock, which is NBC streaming service. I think the positive to this, though, the positive side of this, is ESPN now has to fill more programming. They have a big gap in programming. Big Ten football was a large part of what they did. And so they have all these time slots available. Now, the intriguing thing to me is, I think it creates opportunities for the Big 12 earlier in the day, like that 11 a.m. to 3.30 window, when the West Coast is still getting up and getting the day started. And I think it gives the Pac-12 opportunities um, at night, like which is what we've talked about. They have that late night time slot at West coast, 9 PM central or 9 30 PM central kickoff. Now I don't think this is the end of the road when it comes to expansion. I still feel like the big 12 has something to sell to pac 12 teams, namely like Colorado, Utah, the two, the two uh, Arizona schools, Arizona state and Arizona. But in some ways, I think this is helpful for both, the Pac-12 and the Big 12, specifically just to their negotiations with ESPN, because ESPN is going to need more content, they need more programming. Okay, the Big 10 is is out. Well, now you have an opportunity to stack up more Pac-12 and Big 12 games moving forward. Um, the Pac-12 is still, you know, searching to get their deal finalized after the departure of USC and UCLA. Big 12 is in the same situation. So there's an opportunity here with ESPN, but I don't expect either of those conferences to just exclusively let ESPN do all their games. I mean, I imagine Fox might still be involved. Um, As I said earlier, I think these streaming services are going to have something to say about it. But what it does tell us is, and we sort of knew this behind the scenes, that TV networks were driving all this realignment. I mean, it's like the, the battle lines have been drawn. 
Fox is taking the Big Ten. They're going to run with it. That's their conference now. ESPN has the SEC. I'm sure many of you say, well, they've always been hyping up the SEC. But, like, the SEC is theirs. It's their conference. They're going to move forward with it. That's who they're going to market. That's who they're going to promote. And the challenge for these other schools is, or these other conferences, excuse me, how do we, one, stay, you know, stay somehow intertwined with the two big networks and Fox and ESPN, but at the same time, how do we build our own brand elsewhere? Because if we're just on ESPN and Fox, we get lost in the shuffle of the Big Ten and the SEC. How do we find a way to have like an identity? Oh, Big 12 football, it's on TBS or TNT or it's on Amazon Prime. Like, what does that look like moving forward? That's one of the big challenges that Brett Yormark is going to have to figure out in the coming weeks and months. Brett Yormark was on campus at TCU, by the way. And I found out he actually has his – he said his wife's son uh, is a TCU grad. So that's interesting. So, Brett, hey, look out for us better than anybody else in the conference because you have ties here. You have family ties here. That's going to be the challenge for him, though, is how do you simultaneously, like, keep that relationship with the two big networks – but then also find a way to, you know, differentiate yourself, have a unique identity outside of that with possibly a streaming service or another network. But ESPN, they're no longer going to be doing Big Ten football in the coming years. Um, They pulled out. So Fox and NBC and CBS are taking that on full blast. And CBS has stake in the SEC as well. So kind of interesting to see how that, you know, moves forward and progresses. Um, All this TV deal stuff, man, it's always fluid. We'll be back tomorrow with our Big 12 Roundtable. This is Lockdown Horn Frogs, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. It's your team.